0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And hello, America. Welcome to another edition of Greg's List Live, your home for serious journalism only on AmericasWebRadio.com. Coming back at you, we are uh, smack dab in the middle of a pretty heated presidential race, and um, I... uh, I don't know. There's a lot of predictions about who may drop out next. Uh, my choice, Scott Walker dropped out somewhat surprisingly a couple weeks ago. Um, as I've mentioned before, he woke up the next day as governor of Wisconsin. He can run for another term there. So probably decided to go ahead and cut bait. Uh, Donald Trump is actually going to be here this Saturday, David, and he is putting together, um, you know, a, a staff now. So I'm seeing much more potential for staying power uh for Donald Trump to to hang around now he was in the newspapers the other day saying that if he starts dropping in the polls that he'll drop out of the race but he I mean he's dropped a little bit but um uh, depends on what poll you look at Dr. Ben Carson was in first in one from uh Investor's Business Daily uh the other day but Trump is leading in uh in all three of the uh the states uh Jeb seems to be really Floundering Rubio has some momentum. Uh, Carson is being uh, sticking around in second place. Fiorina's got some momentum. So you're seeing that the, the top three Fiorina, Carson, and Trump have no real political experience, and that seems to be an asset in this case. So is that kind of what you've been thinking? Or?
2: Yeah, uh, a couple of things, that, as long as we're talking politics, which that's what you do on this show. Uh, I heard today that. Um, Jeb was going to bring 43 into it (laughs) uh, to try to get him to help in uh, South Carolina. The other thing was that, and I, I, you know, I go home for lunch, generally speaking, and try to catch up on what I missed uh, in my office, but... um, was the attack ad from Hillary. hmm Have you seen that? No, I have not yet on, on Jeb or no, just No, on, no, on uh, against the Benghazi committee and I must say McCarthy, who is running for speaker, he put his foot in it and it had athletes Foot and it's in his mouth, and he <laughs> twisted it real good. When he said and that it was uh,
1: basically just a ploy to get to, yeah, to get hurt hurt hurt. her politically. Yeah, yeah. I was watching that interview, and um, was pretty surprised that he 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 was dumb enough to say that.
2: That's pretty
1: stupid. Yeah. Uh,
2: I, so they've used that. Uh, her first ad is is against. Uh, the Repo- i told you so i had nothing to do with benghazi here's what the here's what benghazi is all about and here's the republican uh gentleman that's trying to run for the speaker said about it you know i personally think they have proven enough in the benghazi committee with trey gowdy that uh you know uh, whether it started out one way or the other they have found the uh, they have found that she has the email situation, the server situation, and I think they've found enough on in Benghazi at this point to say that she was very active in it. In uh, a, a, The cover-up and the, the whole cover. charade yeah.
1: about the blaming it on the video. I mean, even if – I guess what I'm saying uh, or what I would look at is um, the McCarthy – I mean, he's, he's right. It did damage her politically, yeah. but it's not – that wasn't the whole goal. I mean, I, she's clearly guilty of a lot of crimes – I think, Uh, especially the email server for sure. There's more than 400 now discovered emails, and you've mentioned Petraeus and the uh, the the fact that they're somewhat similar. In your opinion, about the the crimes. I don't. No, I don't think it's
2: similar at all. I think his his was a a pimple on an elephant's ass, and hers is a pimple on a on a rat's ass. You know, but they're uh, both deep down inside. They're both
1: pimples. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Uh, one's just a whole lot bigger. At their
1: true heart, their true nature. They're still acne. <laughs> and I, and you know, and I,
2: I don't think Petraeus, what he did was out of. I think he just made a dumb move. He's a four-star general, and he just screwed up. And and he may have been thinking with the wrong head at the time, but he just screwed up. <laughs> As for Hillary, you know, good and damn well that was an act of. She knew exactly what she was doing. That server didn't just pop into her house like she said. Yeah. And she didn't have to start just using it. Yeah. She, all of her, and everything she didn't that have Hillary to, she didn't does is premeditated. I was about
1: to say, I think premeditated, uh, planned, um, you know, Conspired. There, there's all sorts of negative words that we can use to describe her behavior, and the fact that she then took six months to return the server to the or uh, to turn it over to the FBI, and then they wiped it right before with yeah. a cloth. With a with cloth. cloth. Apparently, yeah. that cloth wasn't as good as you thought, Hillary, because the yeah. FBI and the state, or uh, who else is investigating? Is it the the DOJ, Department of Justice? Which I will say, it seems the Department of Justice, for once, is actually. Actually, investigating a little now, bit. You think? You think maybe? Would, you think maybe that's who, because Obama who, doesn't who, exactly who like controls Hillary. the DOJ. Yeah, the Obama administration. So I think that that you, you see know that Hillary,
2: big yellow bus coming towards Hillary. Hillary.
1: Hillary's kind of like Germany in World War II. She's fighting a two front war. On yeah. one side, she's got you know the, the all of her corruption and, again, with Republicans, and then on the other side she's got the obama administration which i don't think really likes her very much so How and, and that's, you pick up that's on that but isn't that good for us yeah. i mean it, or, or isn't that good for america i always say it's not an us versus them mentality should it be that that no it, it but not having hillary clinton as president i think would be a very
2: well i i think that, that obama time. wants mr biden to get in and and uh, be his third term.
1: I mean, if you want to make America great again, don't vote for Hillary Clinton. That's per- it's pretty simple. <laughs> or yeah, Biden, uh, or anybody yeah, else a, Bi- and- a Biden getting in there would be interesting. I was reading some, uh, um, I guess, speculation on that this morning, and uh, it's you know, he, he, I think he's getting asked to get in there because actually, I saw some polls that showed Carly Fiorina in a head-to-head with Hillary he was beating her by eight and ten points respectively in Iowa and New Hampshire. So can, you can imagine what she's doing to her in the South. So if she's winning Iowa and New Hampshire, and those are states Obama has won, uh, or the Democrats have won the past uh, three or four cycles at least. I'd have to research it a little bit more. But a Fiorina is up by eight or ten points. That's that's How a you, bad sign to do Hillary. you
2: push Bernie in? I, I, I mean, I can't stand the guy. I can't stand his politics. I'm not a socialist. I, I think that... <laughs> Socialism, th- as I learned in uh, civics and so forth, is one step below communism, and I'm anti-communist, and I'm anti-socialist. Uh, socialism about killed the UK, and I think anything that Bernie Sanders could possibly do would help kill the United States. But let me ask, do you feel like his quote-unquote follow- followers and his "Quote unquote surge catching up with Hillary is just just that small cluster of idiots that would be socialistic if they had their way, and it's really it really doesn't address the Democrats. It really doesn't address a large audience, but it is a, a very uh, following audience of Sanders, like
1: you're saying, a vocal minority. I think." Yeah. I mean, you've got a couple things. You've got the Democrat Party, which, you know, they're, they like to claim they're a big tent party as well. So they do have some real far left people that don't think communism or socialism is a bad idea. Then they've got kind of the, the left wing, the environmentalists and the greenies that are, you know, they just want to implement a lot of taxes to punish businesses. And then you've got kind of the 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 corporatists because Democrats are extremely wealthy. The 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 Democrats have become the party of the very poor and the very rich. So they've, in my opinion, they've left the middle class. And so the very poor people, and the poor people that um, you know are easily manipulated by, oh, look at this rich person. They don't deserve all that money. It's easy to to get them to buy into something that says these these rich people caused the recession, they the the banksters caused uh, the housing collapse. It's easy to that's an easy message for those folks, but the middle class, the working class, those are the ones that are being impacted most, uh, primarily by Obamacare. You know, they, I- they're the ones losing their coverage or facing higher deductibles and higher premiums. So the Republicans have actually gotten a lot of working class folks. It's the union the big time unions are still deeply in the Democrat pockets and vice versa.
2: But they're walking away too. But I by the way, I think your offer is fantastic and I you should be commended, congratulated for offering to pay any of the socialist transportation <laughs> and housing in Russia so they could go get a first hand view of what socialism is. Even your even if your boy uh uh, the NSA uh, mouth uh, has decided he wants st- he doesn't like Russia anymore for some reason, and he'll come back and serve time. He said. Edward Snowden. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So, uh, uh, I'm, but I think your offer to pay for a person's uh, one way ticket to Russia to find out what it's like. Under socialism? it's a
1: standing it's a standing offer um I'm not saying you're going to have first class accommodations in fact you you may be kind of on a on a slow boat if if you will but uh yeah we'll we'll pay for you to go over there. See what it's like. See what, uh, and you know, <laughs> I don't think I'd want to be anywhere near Europe right now with their importation of uh, or their importing of all these Syrian refugees. And if if you've looked at the average age of those folks, David, and I'm sure you've glanced at it, this they're all 18, 18 to forty year old, seventy five percent male. Now, I don't know that that just seems like an invading army to me.
2: I, you're not going to get any argument here, and. In- Brother, don't think they're not coming here too. You know.
1: Well, I mean, Obama says he wants to import a hundred thousand of them, and we can't even get our sanctuary cities resolved. We, uh, you know, they want to uh, until the Democrats get serious about cracking down on illegal immigration. I don't want to hear them talking about gun control.
2: Did uh, Did you hear about our uh, our legal immigration of sorts uh, that? Obama has signed off on and that's letting 6,000 uh, inmates out of jail this week <laughs> are, they, are they illegals or are they just regular no, they're, in- they're just regular inmates okay. but I look at them sort of like immigrants you know illegal immigrants they've been locked up and so they're going to migrate back into our population now how many of those 6,000 do you think are wearing priest robes coming out and have a rosary around their neck
1: I would say zero, but it depends on what they were initially convicted for. You, uh, it, it, the irony is sometimes prison. You know, they, they get decent job training in there. It's so whether or not they'll get hired, like auto mechanics and there's uh, welding. I mean, there's actually blue collar labor. People do we need? I mean, what <laughs> license plate builders do we need? <laughs> well, I mean, I've seen I've seen that they they are trying to engage in some productive rehabilitation. The problem right. is, it's very difficult to get hired when you do have a, a felony or something on your record. But if you know a skill that the average American who goes and studies ancient Sumerian poetry, we're we're, we're losing the the blue collar workforce. People know how to fix a car. People know how to do uh, basic plumbing. All that stuff. If you ever hire a plumber now, it's some Russian guy that uh, works for Roto rooter You know, very rarely see anybody young. And, and that's a fact. I I'm fortunate I've got a friend whose uh, father's a plumber and so you know, he'll drive in from Loganville and and, and fix some oh, anything that pops because
3: up.
2: Because I had well, your Russian guy come out. <laughs> he and I had a uh, difficult time. It was uh we used more hand signals in a football <laughs> than Georgia did at the Oh, Georgia. Did did that are they a JV team that, that played Alabama? Is I thought we
1: weren't going to talk about that
2: today. Where where was it in the you contract know, I, we weren't uh, you know, going to talk
1: about? I, all I know, <laughs> you know, I don't think I sent you that memo. You know, the funniest thing I saw, was I don't one even, of my
2: good buddies had a deal on Facebook that, mm-hmm. that uh, the coach in Alabama, Saban, has been picked up for cruelty to animals.
1: Well, you know, I'd really, really, I'm trying to avoid the interwebs uh, for right now. I did see Saturday Down South's what, what website. What was the ending score? It was 38 to 10. 30,
2: 38
1: to 10. I was actually in Athens, and uh, I'm fortunate that I didn't actually try to scrounge up the cash to buy a ticket. We used Airbnb and found a great place, which, by the way, Airbnb is kind of like the Uber of the hotel, <laughs> motel business. It's VR, like VRBO, Airbnb. Uh, couch sift, sitter or something like that. There's several sites, and basically private individuals can lease out rooms or their whole houses for people like me to stay in. So that part of the trip was great. The game was not. Anyway, let's go ahead and take our first break, and we'll be back in a couple minutes with Todd Ream from GeorgiaPundit.com. See you in a minute.
5: the docs for patient care foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship get a pen and paper write down docs for patientcarefoundation.org that's docs the number four patient care go to our site and please make a generous tax deductible donation and join the fight today
6: thank you this is a America's americaswebradio.com the best in chat radio designed just for you
1: and welcome back to greg's list the home of serious journalism only on America's americaswebradio.com i uh i think i'm momentarily recovered from that uh that georgia football uh, uh joke you put on me david but right now todd ream from georgia com is uh our, our call-in guest and uh todd's been um uh, writing a lot about the presidential race and the ups and downs going on in the Republican Party, and uh, wanted to bring him in to see what uh, his analysis of some of the latest polls are. Todd, welcome back to Greg's. House. How are you today?
3: Hey Greg, I'm doing great. Glad to glad to
1: be on with you. Yep. Well, I I uh, talked a little bit about the presidential race. I think you were able to uh, listen in, and uh, I don't know what kind of uh, observations you've had from it. If they're similar to mine, or uh, I know you've been talking to uh, analyzing some of the polls and seeing the ups and downs and the swings. And uh, it's uh, it's a fascinating race. Obviously, Scott Walker dropping out, his poll numbers had dipped below 05 percent. So when people were talking about where his support is. Going, it's almost where are his uh, donors going? Not really the 04 percent that was part of his vote, but um, what kind of impact we've? It's now been a couple weeks since I thought that was a pretty big event in the race. Uh, what kind of impact do you think his departures as has made on the uh, the rest of the field?
3: Well, first I want to say one thing. I, I'm not sure it was just his poll numbers cratering that that was the the issue. What you've seen is you, there are folks who have never had poll numbers as high as Scott Walker's when he exited who are still in the race. It was that he built up his operation as though he were going to be a front runner, and he started building an operation to compete in all these different states with all this staff. Uh, and what I think happened is overhead got to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he was running like he had Jeb Bush money but he didn't. And, you know, but Jim Gilmore, who I don't, you know, who may never break one point, is still in the election because it's just him and, you know, an Uber cab to the airport. <laughs> um, and so I, I think it's it's partly sort of knowing your place in the, uh, in the firmament and uh, if he hadn't staffed up the way he did, he might have been able to hang on a little while longer. Uh, certainly we saw in Georgia a uh, feeding frenzy for his top uh, grassroots folks um most of them i think went to cruz you had judson hill going to uh, marco rubio the bigger fight is one that, that you can't see or that you won't see uh until at some point uh later on you see folks who were prominent in his organization either on the super PAC side or uh directly to his campaign showing up as major donors or major bundlers for other candidates. That's that's where the real race was was mm-hmm. to identify who were his money folks and how do you get them on board because he didn't do a horrible job of fundraising. It's it's just that he it didn't keep pace with his spending. And that's that's a common uh, common thing to happen with for some candidates.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I was reading kind of the, the post-mortem of it and apparently he had a full-time staff of 90 people and, uh, that's a significant amount of folks. His, uh, I guess I, I was just surprised that he, he, uh, he folded up the shop so, so quickly because his super PAC did have a $7 million ad buy going into Iowa and, uh, I guess, uh, I, I guess here's the question. When they, when they suspend their campaign, any, any way any of these folks that actually that it would be a true campaign suspension where they could re-up it if certain things change uh you know in january because i i have to think that Fiorina, carson or trump one of them will not be as strong as they are now and that support has to go somewhere so is there any chance that a, a walker or somebody else may be able to jump into this thing real late in the game we're hearing a little bit of mitt romney which uh uh, you know, again, that would be a, a big name to jump into this thing. So what, what's your uh, analysis of, of, of Are we have we seen the end of the field, or is there maybe a wild card out there?
3: I, I can't think of a time off the top of my head where I've seen a candidate suspend his campaign and then make a comeback. Um, you have, in doing so, you've dashed a lot of folks' uh, hopes mm-hmm. and a lot of folks who have been... Uh, counting on you. And so it's, you know, you've just alienated some portion of your top supporters. And and that's something that's really hard to come back from. To his credit, I think, uh, from what I've read, Walker decided to pull the plug before he got into a lot of debt. Um, And nothing makes folks feel worse than having invoices they know are never going to get paid. (laughs) Um, So he's in somewhat better than, than other candidates who have, have gone under. But I, I can't think of a time when something like this has happened, okay. uh, you know, unless you walk down the street and find a $100 million bill. Um, but for there are some parts of a presidential campaign operation that just can't be outsourced. Jeb Bush appears to be... Uh, sort of at the forefront of outsourcing as much of the campaign stuff as we can Mm -hmm. to a super PAC. Uh, Carly Fiorina has sort of drafted on some of the super PAC's uh, efforts, but in terms of your body man, your chief strategist, um, your head folks in the early states, those are typically direct payroll, and it's So strategically important, I don't see how you can outsource those slots. Um, And I will say, one of his. His, I
1: guess, well, I I will say one of his problems was he wasn't this, you know, real dynamic speaker. So it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm back and here's this 20 minute rip roaring speech that'll get everybody fired up. His, his problem was he, you know, didn't get much speaking time at the debates and people thought he was boring and he was talking about unions when I guess the real topic was, uh, you know, about uh, reality show guys and stuff like that. So it seemed like he was off message as well. So he's, he's the one candidate that I don't think has the, uh, uh, charisma to make a comeback, um, anyway. So,
3: I, and I think that's the the curse of the Midwest. Uh, it, you see it, I think, not just with Walker, but with um, John Kasich. I think John Kasich, if you're looking just purely at resumes, is the strongest candidate there. And if I were in a position to simply go out and hire the president of the United States, there's no question in my mind it'd be Kasich. Mm-hmm. Uh, his problem is he never caught fire the way Walker did, and the irony for Scott Walker is, is it was a speech that largely put him on the map. But it's one thing to deliver a, a, a killer speech one time that gets the real uh, policy wonks, the real political enthusiasts excited, and another to translate that to a, to a broader audience. Who's more interested in watching The Apprentice than, <laughs> you know, CPAC or whatever the uh, the, the webcast uh, for conservatives of the week is?
1: Right. Yeah, well, and and the other thing is uh, uh, the 15 remaining candidates, all of them, and I thought this was extremely interesting, have paid the $40,000 to appear on the South Carolina primary ballot. So that – and that is a little bit of a litmus test because South Carolina's fee is by far the most uh, exorbitant of any of the early states. And for all of them to pony up that money, I thought was – Indicative that they're all going to at least hang out till then. I guess if you look at it, most of them can do the the Jim Gilmore model and just you know try to get on TV as much as they can and then take an Uber to any of the events. So, but so did well, you think? And, and did,
3: there's something to be said for having strength late in the game. And for the folks who are going to be on the ballot in South Carolina, that's one step further than Scott Walker. got yeah. For all of the for all of the strength he brought. Sometimes the understanding that your burn rate really matters is, is something. But I'll say this. You always hear people, every single cycle, every, somebody's putting it all on the board in, in Iowa. Um, and I, I, there's probably a, a good dozen folks who are saying that. They're going to gamble it all in Iowa because we have seen people come from out of nowhere in Iowa. Uh, one of them is our current president. Um, But the fact of the matter is you've got to be on the ballot, and and this year you probably have to make it at least to March 1st and do a good showing on March 1st for that SEC primary uh, to, to be taken seriously. As we get closer to the convention,
1: and that's why I've been uh, pretty impressed with Ted Cruz's strategy. I'm not that impressed with him necessarily as the next president, but his strategy of kind of going for the uh, the the Huckabee social conservatives and maybe some of the the more hawkish folks, and a very southern based strategy. He's been here a lot, and uh, not just for like you know little one hour barnstorming, but like you know really going around and traveling the state. And from what I've seen, he's been picking up delegates, and that's going to keep him around for a while, in my opinion.
3: Well, and I think he's the first one you can look at and say they've got an actual electoral strategy that uh, puts states on, on the board and in play. And, you know, certainly I think it it, it feels like at least that his, uh, his grassroots build out in Georgia is more extensive than anybody else's. He may have more named... Committee members and and people with titles running around doing stuff uh, than all the other campaigns combined and and so he was the first where you could say, Gosh, this guy actually has a, a strategy that you can articulate and you can say how he sees his path where he sees right. his path going um, and, and it's interesting that that should come up during the first uh, the first real edition of the SEC primary.
1: And what do you think about Trump's staying power? Is it becoming more and more uh, likely that he will be a major factor? He'll be in Atlanta uh, or Norcross this Saturday. At the rally, I believe, is free. You just have to sign up for it online. But uh, it, it doesn't seem like his support is really going away. And he actually uh, he seems to be improving uh, as far as messaging. So... Um, what I, do you think I'll, about
3: I'll say two things about Trump. One is that mm. I do think that a large amount of his support comes from having the most recognizable name on the ballot. Okay. Um, once you get beyond people who attend meetings and who attend state conventions, um, he is the only one who really has a whole lot of Dame ID. Probably Bush comes in second, but there's there's a different kind of baggage that comes with that. I think the biggest, impediment to Donald Trump remaining in as a serious and competitive candidate is simply Donald Trump Um, I don't know will he will he decide that he doesn't really want to do the job Um, you know has he really thought about what is involved if he becomes president uh, and he's not able to do day to day management of his business empire um you know, there's no requirement, I looked this up today, there is no requirement in law that a president put his or her uh, assets in a blind trust, but that's traditionally done. The thing about Trump that's different from uh, Mitt Romney or somebody like that is most of those guys with high net worth have a diversified portfolio of publicly held stocks. Trump doesn't. He has a group of uh, businesses that really demand, I think, his day-to-day running in a way that Mitt Romney's investments didn't, or either of George Bush's investments didn't. And I don't know how much thought he's put into whether he can stay away from this empire he built, uh, whether he would be willing to, to put it in a blind trust. Who would be able to take over the management of something like that, right. uh, of something that is as specific to Donald Trump yeah. um, and not just a portfolio of publicly traded stocks?
1: Yep. Todd, we've got to take our 2.30 break here. Can you hold on a couple minutes? We'll circle back a little bit with that and talk about some uh, state politics in a couple minutes on Greg's
5: List. This is Michael Gannot with Insight to Israel. Thank you, God bless patriot conservatives, and God bless Israel in her struggle for sovereignty and security.
3: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio
1: And welcome back to Greg's List Live, the home of serious journalism, only on America's Web Radio.com. Coming at you. We just had the uh, chairman's banquet last night in the state of Georgia. Looked like a huge crowd was there. We're on with Todd Rehm right now, GeorgiaPundit.com. Todd, I see you are speaking to my alma mater tomorrow night, the University of Georgia College Republicans. So uh, that looks like that'll be a fun little road trip for you and Georgia Pundit. So are you looking forward to that?
3: I'm looking forward to it. It'll be my first time in an academic building at the University of Georgia. If you want to join me, we can uh, make it both of our first times in an academic building on the campus. Um, So I've never really been there. I'm looking forward to it greatly.
1: (laughs) Hopefully they've cleaned up the campus. The the campus was just trashed after the uh, Alabama game, Georgia fans. Obviously it was a rainstorm, and then they got destroyed on the field. So uh, if I go back, I'd probably have to bring... uh, uh, bring a little bit of my work clothes and, and try to do a little cleaning up to show that Georgia people are better than that. But, uh, you know, you're going to be very pleasantly surprised that UGACRs are the smartest kids on campus. I'm sure they will ask some challenging questions for you. I've actually been to see the two Republicans on your alma mater's campus at Emory. So I'm uh, still wondering how you worked out at the end. Uh, Republican strategist with uh, Emory is actually Emory is no Agnes Scott there actually we're about 30 active CRs at Emory but uh, so we've got um, a pretty busy statewide calendar coming up It's again it's an election year but there's actually going to be a lot of new legislators uh, we've had a huge turnover uh, just in the past two to four years do you think that's going to allow for some legislation that uh, maybe we'll get a fresh set of eyes on it with all these new faces in the uh, end of the Gold Dome?
3: I don't think so. Um, it is it's a lot like Congress uh, where a premium is placed on experience and chairmanships and where I think there is, generally speaking, where I think the opportunity for a freshman to make an impact is by being an expert in their business or in their industry um, and having that perspective because one thing um, that i've heard from several folks is that having somebody who who really grew up uh... spent a lot of time in an industry has some expertise helps make better legislation and you're not going to go up there i don't think with just a new idea and pass a bunch of legislation if somebody who comes in from uh, the banking industry or the ride-sharing industry and says, you know, look, these are some issues that our industry has struggled with um, that haven't gotten the attention they need. I think that's a way to to, to make something happen. Other than that, it's going to rely on grafting off uh, some of the existing leadership and chairman. I think you could come up with a list of Maybe thirty legislators, maybe more than that thirty legislators in the House who are responsible for being the primary the prime mover on most legislation. Um, and so I, I don't expect any big changes um, based on that. We will have some new faces. We will have what it what it could vote for is uh, some issues in leadership in one house or the other. When you have a caucus that is pretty closely divided, um, a couple new faces can make a difference. I don't. I don't anticipate there being much change in the state house. Um, The state senate, by its nature of being, you know, relatively few people and decision making lodged in large part in the caucus one or two freshmen in the Senate Republican Caucus or in the Senate Democratic Caucus can cause a change in leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And that's something to definitely watch out for.
1: Well, you know, we've seen some some rumblings of the uh, you know the horse racing uh, bill may come back, and that was pretty close to, to passing last year. A lot of times, these bills that uh, need, have a, a long introductory phase, I guess they'll try to get them introduced in one session and an education platform going, and then try to really do a hard push. Uh, it looks like the casinos are going to be making the hard introductory push um, this cycle, and I know they've got some. Uh, legislative support and you're also going to see pretty bitter fighting against them so um would you, I, I know that uh, sheldon adelson has uh has certainly been in georgia and um what uh what have you heard anything about any kind of appetite for at least giving uh mgm and some of these other places a little bit more of an ear than they may have previously had
3: there there is a there's always going to be a group of folks who wants to run to anything that can be pitched as economic development Um, That's a fact, I think, that uh, we've got a coastal chairman of economic development who has shown an appetite for looking at industries that aren't traditionally considered to be a good fit for Georgia. Um, But ultimately, here's the problem that the casinos, I think, are going to run into the hardest and that horse racing probably runs into, and that's that uh, Nathan Deal still has a couple years left uh, with a veto pen. And that is that is something that I, that I don't think is subject to change. Uh, Ethan Deal, I read recently a headline that said, you know, Governor Deal says proceed cautiously on this issue or that issue. And that's almost, you could almost use that headline for anything that Governor Deal talks about, is, is, you know, that his approach is to proceed cautiously. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has said pretty flatly that he's not interested in seeing Uh, additional gambling. Uh, I think if you are an MGM or somebody like that who's willing to invest uh, some treasure in the state of Georgia, you've got to understand that you're going to be investing some time and that it may be that you simply have to outweigh Governor Deal's term.
1: Yeah, and that's uh, certainly one of the, the bigger ones that, that, that I've been reading out that, that uh, reading about that's going to be coming online. Um, of course, the hotel motel folks got a study committee put together for Airbnb, VRBO, and the other folks that are kind of like the Uber or the Lyfts of the um, hotel motel industry. And I've personally been able to use Airbnb successfully a couple times, and it works out as a good free market interaction. So I'm excited to think that government will be trying to ruin that have you heard anything about those meetings i've read that nothing happened there was a lot of, in the first one but uh it always concerns me when when states that brag about being limited regulation and um, try to regulate things that are doing pretty well on their own
3: you know i, I did kind of laugh when i saw the uh that that one of the uh, airbnb or one of their other companies said that they were open to some level of legislative of uh Regulation, as long as it be logical or sensible or not Mm -hmm. too onerous. And coming into the Georgia General Assembly and saying we're open to our industry being regulated and please be gentle uh, (laughs) just strikes me as profoundly naive. One interesting (laughs) thing that I haven't seen mentioned before is that Airbnb has a Georgia connection. Do you know what that Georgia connection is?
1: Uh, No, I do not.
3: One of the founders is uh, from my... Uh, home city, city of Brookhaven.
1: Well, so... One of the
3: two founders. One of the- and so it would be interesting to me if one of the founders were to come, that might, that might be very impactful um, and say, you know, there is a reason we decided to start this company in California instead of Georgia. Um, that mm-hmm. would be an interesting perspective because... It's not just talking about whether you regulate these uh, hotel room light uh, services. It's it it gets down to the brass tacks of Georgia wanting to develop uh, more in the technology sector, and to and to uh, look at what Governor Deal's talked about for as long as I can remember, creating a a business environment that's receptive and is open to new kinds of business. Um, that would be an interesting... Uh, yeah. approach
1: to I it. certainly think they, I mean, Airbnb certainly would have the capability of charging the 10% tax. So if it was indeed, that was all the hotel motel lobby was complaining about, I, I think that that could easily be added on. Basically, the, the way it works now is the tenant or the, the owner of the property will charge a price. Airbnb charges, I believe it's a 12% uh, service fee on top of that. So if you rent it out for $500, which was actually the price that uh, I rented out uh, the house that I stayed at in Athens on Saturday. It was $500 plus a $60 uh, Airbnb fee, so it was 560 total. And there could have easily been another 10% added to that to make, to make 612 But my fear... Uh, is that the hotel-motel people don't really... They're using the tax as an excuse, but they really want to shut down on the ability for these uh, property owners who are already paying property taxes and other taxes to be able to monetize uh, an empty bedroom or an empty house.
3: Well, you know, I don't don't think that the hotel-motel owners are are just a bunch of sticks in the mud. And and I do think that a few of the things that they, they talk about are legitimate concerns. Um, And it's not just the dude who is out of town for the summer and rents his one uh, apartment that that is as much of an issue as the guy who went in at the downturn of the uh, real estate market and bought up 17 uh, units in one building and is running them all through Airbnb and has the functional equivalent of a hotel. That is that is competing with existing hotels but doesn't maybe doesn't have to have the same uh, hygiene standards, uh, the same sanitary standards for the plumbing, uh, the same standards for uh, fire safety. I say
1: uh, I, I'll go a little Latin on that and say caveat emptor buyer beware doesn't the market kind of cure things like that?
3: I mean, I guess, I guess uh, maybe it cured it after the hotel wine cough uh, <laughs> disaster in which hundreds of people died. But you know, fire safety is a, is a big deal, and right. most 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 MTORS are not don't have the ability to come in beforehand and say, "Okay, what happens if this place gets on fire? How do I get down?" Um, and, and I think there is a role uh, in Safety regulations to have a little bit um, of a
1: supervision from, a, like, a, the fire inspector or some structural integrity type. Is that what you're referring to?
3: Yeah, what I'm saying is that the the, the, the safety standards, the, the building codes, are likely very different for a hotel than for a consumer structure. Okay, um, and in in some of those places, I, it probably it, it may have real safety impacts. And the other issue is. You've got individual homeowners, who the, the neighborhood, uh, the, the characteristics of their own neighborhood is being changed. Right. Um, I grew up in Gwinnett County, and what you would see in Gwinnett County is these neighborhoods were built in the seventies and eighties, would kind of start sliding down market, and and a lot of the houses would become rentals. And over time, there's a tipping point where. The nature of the neighborhood changes. It can, go, from to more more renters of, they can go to
1: a more transient uh, basis. Yeah. Well, I get it. Todd, we We got to take our last break. Can you hold on for one more commercial break, and then we'll pick up, because I do think it's interesting. We'll be back in a couple minutes on Greg's List.
4: Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out, and when necessary, Support USJF as they support you.
6: Live closer to your food source. Learn how to grow it yourself. Please join me every Saturday morning at 10 Eastern on America's Homegrown Veggie Show for tips and advice from the country's best
4: gardeners. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? and the trained staff at EHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is
6: America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. And welcome back to Greg's
1: This Live, your home for serious journalism. Wrapping up with Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com. We talked, uh, if you missed the beginning of the show, talked a little bit about uh, presidential politics, and we've delved into some of the upcoming uh, potential issues on the state legislature and got to the question of Airbnb. And Todd, I, uh, I agree with you that um, rampant rentals in neighborhoods um, can lead to uh, property neglect and declining property values. I guess the question is, and, let-
3: and, and not just that, but you know, I think that there is a pent-up demand among alumni for Emory to field a football team. And, and think with me, what would happen to your neighborhood, to the livability of your neighborhood, if Emory built a stadium over there in Toco Hills and the surrounding area became like Athens on every Friday, Saturday night in the fall? Uh, with people renting out their houses for the whole weekend and, and parties everywhere. That's, that is, I think, a legitimate concern. Not so much that Emory football is going to ever exist, but that there's a tipping point where it's not even, uh, you know, long-term decline of neighborhoods, but it's, it's the livability of a neighborhood on a weekend when there's parties there from people that don't live there and don't care what their neighbors think.
1: Right. Well, you know, six games uh, or six weekends out of the year in Athens. I mean, basically the whole town doubles in population. So uh, to me, the college town is already somewhat prepared for it. A city as big of it as Atlanta, I think, would be able to swallow it. If you look up at Kennesaw State, their football team has had huge tailgates, and I haven't really seen that many uh, complaints. And I'm sure Airbnb is being used up there to uh, some level. But I guess back to your point about it changing the characteristic of it, and and I. Think I see more of the long-term... Were you in
3: Atlanta for Freaknik back in
1: the 90s? Uh, In fact, I I took a date down on uh, the very first Freaknik when nobody knew what was happening, and I had a Jeep with the top off and the doors off and uh, as a senior in high school, and it was... um, Yeah, we didn't know what the hell was going on. (laughs) So, yes, I was was there.
3: And and so a weekend event uh, of that... Magnitude—that's something that could very well happen. I mean, what if what if they move DragonCon to the suburbs? Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, college areas—you sort of know what goes on with a college. Mm-hmm. And Kennesaw State, there aren't really residential areas right right around it. Um, but there are other areas where I think it, it's susceptible to to large scale changes if a festival or something like that becomes popular.
1: Yeah, and, and I mean again, but that would be one. You know, Tomorrow World, which turned into uh, the Mud World down in Chattahoochee okay. Hills. Um, that it turned was, into
3: Stone Age World. Stone, yeah,
1: that you know, uh, for all the high tech folks that were there. I guess the folks that that attended that didn't know they were doing Tough Mudder as well. But uh, you know, I don't know if they got the free T-shirt for that. But that that's an example of a uh, one that's way out in the middle of nowhere. And I think the you know Atlanta is fortunate that we have enough hotels to cover demand for most events when you go to a University of Georgia game or probably even Statesboro has a little bit of a demand problem for some of their bigger games. and I that's
3: Or Augusta with the Masters.
1: Augusta with the Masters. So that's where you're really seeing uh, you know, a one-time event. Or in, in Augusta, the Masters is about a week long, but those are tertiary events that uh, they'll, they'll begin and end at a certain time. And most of the people I know in Augusta, they get the hell out of Dodge for Masters Week, too, anyway. So uh, being being able to monetize things, but Back to the point of it making a long-term rental. And this is actually a little bit of a warning using Airbnb, is especially in uh, states that have um, strong tenant laws. If it goes more than 30 days for a rental, then supposedly that can turn into actually a tenant... Uh, Lessie lease agreement and there's a whole lot of problems with kicking somebody out once they have a uh, de facto lease on a property and there's been a property in, in out in California out in Palm Springs where uh, two people moved in and they've literally been there for more than two years. Well, after their lease expired, they don't pay anything and the owners have been unable to evict them from the property. So there is a danger in just randomly renting out your house to strangers and that's why I always say it's a buyer beware world. So. I don't know what regulation we could put in place or whether we should let the uh, localities and the municipalities handle their own uh, codes and regulations.
3: well in, in, in my there are two arguments there. One is that the lack of uniformity that having municipalities uh, each do their own thing sort of leads to there being no market because Airbnb really thrives on having a standardized uh, product as much as possible, um, but the other side of it is, is is it's not just concern for the homeowner who may do this wisely or unwisely. It's it's for his neighbors as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who who can really be stuck with some ramifications that that they didn't have any choice in. Um. Yeah, I could see it, you know. But I think uh,
1: if you have sex offenders, you know, no pun intended, but abusing the system, I I don't know if that part has been has been looked at because uh, that could be inviting parties into the neighborhoods that. uh, wouldn't necessarily be um approved but uh, at the end of the day i do think that the owners of these unless they are using your example buying a bunch of um, tenement housing and turn into slum lords but you know if, if they were able to do that then the neighborhood probably wasn't that good to begin with so that would be the argument on that. Well, Todd Ream, I appreciate you calling in today. We uh, we ended up talking a lot about Airbnb, which I think is good. Hopefully, the legislative body will do will have a intellectual conversation rather than just jumping through the hoops uh, put in uh, put because up. Because
3: that's what usually happens.
1: <laughs> you know, that's why it's good to have uh, negotiations.
3: I guess, right? Yeah, in Thanks for having me on. Greg. All right, I appreciate, appreciate it. it.
1: Todd Ream, GeorgiaPundit.com. You can see him in Athens, Georgia tomorrow night at the UGA College Republicans meeting. We're um, uh, we took a week off last week. Had a couple of uh, end of the month deals going on as my uh, my regular job kicked in. But uh, you know, we you take a look and see at some of the the current events going on. And unfortunately, we had a uh, another gun-free zone turned into a shooting gallery. And, of course, the left politicized it. Your president, Barack Obama, politicized it. And they, they just... I always ask, and I saw somebody post this earlier today, name one gun law that, put into, that if put into place that they're, they're advocating for that would have stopped this shooting in Oregon. And the fact is, you can't. Unfortunately, the, the perpetrators of the crimes, they were able to get the guns legally. And I guess the danger with, with adding the mental health component to the gun control debate is how far do you go? Do you request a doctor to sign off on somebody trying to buy a gun? instead of the seven-day waiting period. And every state does have background checks, and, and, and I believe there's wait periods. I, um, I haven't bought a handgun in a while, but uh, I believe most states do have some kinds of background checks. Now, do we have a federal law about it? No. Do, is there federal background checks? Not yet. Would that cure all the problems? The past several um, violent um, multi-shootings It seems the perpetrator was able to get the gun legally. In in fact, the one with the reporters uh, up in uh, Virginia, that guy bought the gun in June and and didn't uh, commit the shootings until September. So there was certainly no cooling off period that would have uh, prevented that. And I think that if you try to control every facet of every person's life and you start delving into mental history, you are really taking away the freedoms that most Americans hold granted, David. I don't. I'm sure you uh, opine a little bit about this, but when you factor in the mental health, I mean, do we need to go to the step of when you go to purchase a gun? Do you need to have a, a doctor's note? I mean, is is that? Am I being paranoid when I am? Okay, I am being no, like, I, like, I, like like you don't like you don't think that's what the gun control people are asking for?
2: You know, I, I think that's ridiculous, and you know, even at that, I. They're, they're, that's not going to answer the question either. You're not going to stop a crazy from being crazy. Uh, many of them uh, you could give them lie detector tests. you could give them a, and they can they can con the system right you know. Um, so no, I don't think that's the answer. I don't I think the answer is Kennesaw personally.
1: Uh, it's, yep, a city that I actually own a, a rental property in and they, they've had a law in the books. I believe since the early 80s, um, yeah. and basically the law is that every homeowner must own a gun yep <laughs> it's kind and of it's one amazing. of those it's one
2: of those deterrents isn't it <laughs> it's uh you know it's it's amazing it's sort of like uh, my my home alarm went off this was a couple of i don't know four or five years ago mm-hmm. went off and uh uh it's my security people called and they said it was a downstairs it was a basement uh door and uh so I thought, well, you know, I'm I'm here, I'm armed, but I think I'm going to let the police come out anyway. Right. Uh,
1: Which that's what everybody tells you to do. Yeah. Let's so
2: you know, uh, the cop comes out, we go down, and it was a it was a false alarm. The the. Anyway, long story short, the cop told me, he said, you know, you, do, you really, in your in this neighborhood, you don't have to worry about being robbed at night. You've got security. You've got uh, signs that say you have security, plus the fact that anybody that's a burglar knows, if they're professional, they know that you. chances are you have a gun, and they don't want to be shot. Right. And... He said if you're going to be robbed, it's going to be at 10 o'clock, 12 o'clock during the day when maybe nobody's at home uh, and and they've been scoping you out and know your routine and know that you leave at such an hour and your wife might leave or that when the house is vacant. That's They'd much rather attack a
1: vacant target oh, yeah. than risk somebody that's, who knows if they're armed, who knows yeah, they could, how know, quick I'm, they're going to be able to pull I might clues. throw
2: grenades, so, um, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's one of these things you're not going to stop the bad guy mm-hmm. be, be he crazy or be he professional uh, with stupid gun laws um with that being said, I, I, we, oh, we got to go, my friend. Yeah,
1: um, and time flies when you're having fun. But uh, yeah, so we'll we'll pick that up uh, uh, next week on Greg's list, and that's, and we'll get a little bit more information about what exactly the left wants to do. And I, I do like to point out the unintended consequences of adding mental health uh, checks to this gun control equation, and how far the left would want to take that. Thanks for listening. Replay of the show beyond tonight at six p.m. You can find me on at GregsListLive.blog. We'll see you next week on Greg's List.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.